not even literally about sex. It's about like tenderness. It's about feeling like you are wanted as a human being physically and emotionally, right? And not being able to have that is a real trauma. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today, we're going to be talking about loneliness, which is something that really has been in the news a lot as a phenomenon. Obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so like that's a huge problem across, you know, not even just America, but the entire world right now. And one kind of interesting uh, like way to frame the discussion is like we have been talking about like what so one various subculture right that i would consider to be kind of like the end extreme of this kind of loneliness spectrum and like how big a deal it is is kind of like incels which some of you may not have heard of but basically it's the it refers to involuntary celibates, right? And so it's kind of a subculture on the internet that talks about, and it's it's generally like a, a very violent and not, you know, it tends to be like very misogynistic, but also in, you know, preparing for this episode, I've realized was actually founded by a queer woman in the 90s. And so it had, it had really like it has really evolved over time but we're definitely going to be discussing some of that and also just the general like phenomenon of what i have come to think of as the sexual marketplace and i think it's it's actually really interesting to think of it in those kinds of like economic terms right because then you start thinking of like dating inequality as like being similar to income inequality and then it's like oh like how like sh- should people like have a baseline right to like into in the same way that you have a baseline right to like fulfill your various you know needs as a human being so that's that's my you know kind of long-winded intro to this we're joined by luke phillips luke why don't you just you know give a very short you know intro to yourself since you've been on this podcast before yeah sure hi everybody uh, my name is luke phillips i am uh, a uh person who has too many gigs and too many jobs but uh generally <laughs> i work i work in the uh center right policy world and uh I, at the moment i do work with a couple civic orgs based in dc so yeah and for those of you who might not remember, Luke was actually one of our first guests on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on the patriotism episode. So if you want yeah. to check that out again, um, that I think it was is like episode like 22 or something. So, yeah. Yeah. So Isabel was just kind of laying the case or like laying like laying the spectrum, the spectrum of like <clears throat> of loneliness. We're at, at like sort of the far the one far end. We see, you know, a kind of like violent subculture on the Internet. Um, obviously, this like everyone on this podcast and this podcast condemns anyone that like, you know, commits mass violence against somebody like it's never OK. But I think the reason that we want to talk about this is because like loneliness does seem to be and I don't I was going to say the word epidemic, but that might be. People say the loneliness epidemic. That's like a real term that people use in, you know, I've seen in like Vox articles and stuff like that. Yeah. So loneliness does seem to be somewhat of an epidemic, like especially amongst our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to like, you know, kind of set the stage by unpacking that a little bit with you all and like talking about why, you know, some of the stuff we've read says that is and why like we personally think that might be well uh to start things off um 
One of my employers, uh, I remember, was uh, being interviewed for a documentary, uh, and I got the chance to watch, uh, sit in on it. And the documentary was on the kind of crisis of division and, and uh, social isolation in America. And uh, something I distinctly recall from that conversation was just how much social science literature was cited. Um, that is not necessarily recent social science literature. This is stuff that goes all the way back to the 80s and 90s. Uh, there was a famous sociologist at Harvard named Robert Putnam, uh, who wrote a famous, famous book in the literature called Bowling Alone that was looking at how uh, people are not engaging in uh, civil society, um, like the Boy Scouts, the Rotary Clubs, the American Legion, League of Women Voters, in the same levels that they used to earlier in the century. And this was by the 1990s, right? So bear in mind, this is in the early days of the internet. This is in a relatively early stage of uh, of uh, modern globalization. So the kind of uh, labor market was different. People generally on the lower income scales were making a little bit more money back then. Um, and this was also before a lot of the uh, kind of the last 20 or 30 years worth of urban densification and suburban sprawl that has taken Americans of different sorts further and further away from each other, right? So, um, and then th we're not even talking about social media. A lot of people blame social media for uh, for causing all kinds of psychological traumas and problems for people, which is partly <laughs> right and probably partly wrong as well. But uh, the point is, uh, if you look at American society on the eve of the internet, things were already coming apart back then in terms of how, uh, how much people feel fulfilled in their communities, according to survey data. And right. we have only gone further in that direction in the last 30 years. But now we have Twitter and Facebook and Instagram so that we can see how everybody else is doing it as well. You know, so it's not a new kind of problem at all. And it definitely has been coming in for quite some time as well. Yeah. So. And this is also something that like, yeah, loneliness is also becoming, you know, more and more prevalent and something that we're talking about more and more. But I think that one thing that we aren't talking about as much, even though we are, we, we do talk about like hookup culture and that kind of thing is like the, what we read this Atlantic article called like the sex recession and the fact that we are mm -hmm. having like literally like less sex than we were in previous, you know, times in history. And like there's, but there's so much time being spent on kind of like the acquisition of, you know, dates or, you know, hookups and like that kind of thing. And like they, there was this one statistic in there that I thought was crazy crazy, which is that like 1.6 billion swipes happen every day and only like 2 million of them ever actually result in matches. And they're yeah. like, yeah, the, the average Tinder user or whatever is spending an hour and a half per day, right? Like on all of these, like, you know, swiping basically. And like, it's so it's, it's, it's like, only resulting in so it's like not very fruitful you know <laughs> i was just saying for context that is like two million out of what you say 1.6 billion it was like i, I calculated it out right before this it's like 1.6 percent of swipes yeah. ever result in matches right like hovering between one and two percent yeah. um and so the question then becomes yeah like why are so many people spending so much time on a social a, a social endeavor that seems mostly fruitless no now, now, in all fairness, um, in the in the pre dating app dating world, um, 
I would I would imagine that there were there was probably a similar level of interactions being converted into actual conversations and dates as well. Like obviously, mm-hmm. like there there was never a world where fifty percent of data attempts results in a date or anything like that. <laughs> right. But the the thing about social about uh, about dating app social media is it kind of takes the process of dating outside of the real social world and puts it onto the virtual world. So you're kind of alienated from, uh, uh, from, from the act of doing it. You're not, men aren't approaching women in bars when they're swiping them on dating apps. It's a totally different Mm -hmm. kind of setting. And so a lot of the randomness and a lot of the kind of, uh, sense of serendipity, I suppose that our parents' generation had in their, like my parents had a cute meetup, uh, and I don't know any millennials who had a meet cute as cute as my parents, you know? (laughs) Um, But I I have plenty of cousins who met their future uh, spouses on Tinder. Uh, Well, now you got to tell us, what does the TLDR of your parents meet you? Oh, okay. Well, it's, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, I I, I don't want to embarrass them, but I'll tell you. So long story short, (laughs) my dad was a dashing young officer in the United States Navy stationed in Guam where he didn't want to be. And uh, my mom was a uh, immigrant from the Philippines who was uh, in the process of getting her citizenship and doing some uh, work in Guam. My dad started hanging out at a tree bar that, uh, the, uh, uh, where the bartender, uh, her uh, her daughter needed a date to a Christmas dance. So my dad offered to be that date and the bartender thought that uh, it was only going to be one date. And uh, they wound up having a uh, bad first date because my dad got there late to uh, pick up my mom. So she slammed the door on him when, she got, when he got to the door um, saying, you're late. Uh, just walked right past him, slammed the door behind her and got in the car while he was still standing on the doorstep, um, <laughs> which has gone down in our family legend as like, whoa, you can meet somebody because they'll their, their parents will set you up with them. That's unheard of uh, yeah. in a lot of ways nowadays, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And like the dating culture, I think then be like a combination of the fact that there are dating apps and like the Me Too movement also kind of precludes those types of things things even from happening at all right of this the the notion of like oh you'll meet somebody in a bar or you'll meet somebody randomly Mm -hmm. like just literally at all any randomly anywhere there's no like as soon especially like you know in in hetero culture like women being approached by men is just considered creepy like de facto now which is just like now what do you if if you're not apps what are you supposed to do i think i think it's an oversimplification to say like it's like like the me too movement as an as a as an entirety but i do think that yeah like the general movement of like societal like societally acceptable ways of approaching somebody or like ways of interacting with people in in public um like being conscientious, yeah. I think I think people are generally more scared of like you know, uh, like getting murdered or like getting raped or whatever. So and there's a lot of there's a lot of pros on that, but I think one of the um, one of like the salient cons is what you were saying, Isabel. Of like, yeah, now it's now it's it's pretty weird or would be considered pretty weird to approach someone in a bar that you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I, uh, I remember even back when we're all about the same age, back when we were teenagers, uh, up to maybe about early college, it was a, like, that was before our generation was really too big on social media. We all had Facebooks and stuff, but it was still kind of a pioneering kind of thing. Um, and I just remember the dating world was, uh, was, and and now maybe this is a, uh, 
function of us getting older and everybody getting into the professional world and maturing and stuff like that. But I just remember a much looser dating world um, in uh, in high school and early college uh, that was mostly in person, face to face. Whereas uh, I was in a long relationship over the course of college. And by the time that relationship ended, uh, the uh, Tinder had blown up really big and there were a lot of other dating apps out there. And I spent a good like four years um, like asking a lot of people out in person because that was what I grew up with uh, and had something like probably about a one in 50 kind of uh, kind of uh, kind of conversion rate. I don't want to call it in a, in a sports metaphor or anything like that. But, you know, like, like yeah. it's, it, it was just a different kind of uh, kind of kind of um, kind of situation. Um, and to, to go into the question of loneliness on that front, um, man, that does stuff to you. I mean, I'm not the only man in the world who's ever had a successful relationship life and then had a dry spell for quite some time and wondered what the heck was wrong with me. I'm sure that's happened to a lot of other people. Oh, yeah. um, but I have had a reasonably successful uh, uh like just career trajectory since then. And I've had a very, very deep web of relationships, both in terms of close family and in terms of, um, of, uh, friend groups all over the country who I've uh, been with. And most importantly, I've had a real sense of life purpose in that all time, despite, uh, despite, um, having no luck on, on the, uh, the dating front for quite some time. Um, now you guys will be happy to know that, uh, my, uh, my, my almost five year streak of not being able to get a date was just broken the other day because nice. some, uh, some, some random girl who's very nice. Uh, she's unfortunately in a, in a very far away, but, uh, she, uh, she, uh, sent me a message on Facebook, uh, through one of the Facebook groups that were in and asked me if I wanted to, to do a zoom date. So I did a zoom date and it was the first date in years and it was great. And uh, suddenly this conversation doesn't apply to me anymore. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, you know, it, it was one of those things where it's like, like uh, before that happens, uh, while you're still in the, in the question of like, what is wrong with me? Why, why don't girls like me? Why I, I, am a reasonably attractive guy. I, I have stuff going for me. I'm, I'm, I'm funny. I think I'm funny. I'm, I'm funny. Right. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then nothing works out. Like that's when you start thinking about conspiracy theories, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that's when you start like going into the darker corners of the internet that you read about in Vox as being progenitors of white nationalists. And then you look at the stuff and it's like oh shit this is really actually white nationalists here in this kind of place but in a weird way you can like understand where the incel is coming from you know yeah i mean uh, really like, scary thing yeah we i think that we're like we're very familiar with the sort of the concept of someone that's vulnerable falling into a community that might not be the best community, right? And like, like we, becoming radicalized. Yeah, and becoming radicalized. We see it like everywhere. And I think, you know, we watch, pod, we watch, um, or we listen to podcasts and watch like, watch Netflix documentaries about cults, right? Mm-hmm. And the, like the entirety of that concept is that someone is probably falling to a low part of their life and then discovers a community of people that they find uh, like resonance with, right? And, that, uh, and a community that they think understands them in a way that the rest of the world can't understand them, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then all of a sudden you're on a path, and you know, and like in a year you're saying wild shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and, totally. 
and you have and you have like an agenda and a manifesto or whatever, you know. Well, uh, let me let me monologue just a little bit about uh, about about this. So in in particular, um, in my case, I, I, I work in the policy world, so I follow a lot of uh, swanky journalists. And one of them is a very talented writer named uh, Wesley Yang, uh, whose breakout piece uh, probably over a decade ago was called The Face of Sung Hee Cho. Um, at, uh, Wesley Yang is Asian American. Swung Hee Cho, the Virginia Tech shooter, um, was obviously Asian American too. And uh, when uh, when Yang wrote a, a long reflective story on it, his he was basically talking about the unique status of uh, the Asian American man in the early two thousands who is. Uh, not seen as particularly sexually desirable. It was amusing to me that in the article he uh, he was talking about Match.com as the great uh, destroyer of uh, of traditional dating. Uh, when we're living in a world where Match.com is, I think, technically still around, but it's like a, it's like a dinosaur these days. You know. Anyways, um, so so thinking about that and thinking about uh, this was probably in the 2018 2019 timeframe when a lot of conversations about out incels were kind of cropping up all over both the conservative and the liberal media um, in the wake of things like uh, like uh, the legacy of Elliot Roger back in 2014, where uh, a self-identified incel uh, shot up uh, six of his fellow students and then killed himself at uh, UC Santa Barbara. Um, and looking at other things like that and, uh, and, uh, and observing this kind of trajectory, particularly after the Trump election, when suddenly everything seemed to be churning again. Um, it was just a weird kind of experience looking around and seeing these young men, young men, probably about my age, probably about my level of, uh, of psychological stability, uh, probably um, about my level of attractiveness, you know, uh, just bitching and moaning about not being able to get girlfriends and stuff that like when I was in high school, I would have said, oh, boo hoo, that's just something you got to work out. You got to get a job, all that kind of stuff. But then here's me like in their same shoes, not making the same choices that they're making because they are abhorrent to me, not uh, not wanting to resent women, not wanting to be misogynistic the way they were, but at some fundamental level, being able to understand because I had a similar experience uh, for some time, what kind of was warping their minds. That's just the the weird thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I will say that I feel like so many people's reactions, especially like with so many of my friends who are like on the far left, right? Will react to those types of like cultures of being like, oh, like these are just, and, and like also keep me accountable because I, I don't want to caricature it either of like, you know, this is just a bunch of privileged like white men who are like feeling entitled to, you know, women's bodies and to sex and like physical intimacy, like blah, blah, blah. Right. And we should not even legitimize that by talking about it. Right. And like that is a completely not like understandable thing. And if you frame it as something that is understandable, you are in fact normalizing a culture that should not be normalized, blah, blah, blah. Right. And that's one of the reasons I don't talk about this a lot as well on social forums, <laughs> just because like it's always 
always a minefield. So right. I'm, I'm glad you guys are, can talk about this. Yeah. So mm-hmm. well, because I I always think that like no matter how abhorrent you might find a group, I don't think that you ever gain anything from actively not trying to understand them. Right. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's, I don't, always, that's always going to result in like a net a net negative. Right. Like then these people continue to be like on the fringe and continue to become more and more radicalized and continue to feel like they haven't they haven't been heard and and you know just like more division more division happens yeah and i think you always like bring up that like trevor noah quote of like you know they're still gonna be there you can't just like (laughs) pretend like these people don't exist and not try to understand like what motivates people to like be that way because then like that could just like you know result in more and more people becoming incels and more and more people becoming white nationalists or whatever group you want to whatever like you know what i mean like point to so i think that this is like kind of where where my mind keeps going it's like i'm i feel like i'm i've learned that i'm a very like sort of problem solution based person and it seems like there's like an identifiable problem which is like some you know like loneliness is an epidemic and people are lonely and sometimes it pushes people to fringes but even when we're not talking about like extremists on on the incel side we know we see I'm sure that we'll be able to track some sort of like actual psychological damage to people from from sort of the social environment um, of loneliness that we have right now. But like what, you know, is there is there a solution or is this just is this just the way that we are now? Well, I almost I almost feel like it's almost like a premature thing because like the solution to what exactly. right? Right. Because like I feel like reasonable people would be like, like if if you go one step right and you're like okay we all experience loneliness that's bad and you know we should try to find a way to like not let people be so lonely right people would agree with that right they i think that you could even go one step farther and be like okay loneliness like i think a lot of the like the pushback against like you know the incel logic is that oh but you can't put like you are feeling entitled to sex from other people or intimacy from other people demands this thing of other people right Right. but in the same way even just baseline social contact demands that other people like talk to you and interact with you right and i would say that people think that's a reasonable expectation for you to be like people have like a right to have like people interact with them right like solitary confinement is literally considered like torture Right. Mm -hmm. And so like that's like I think something that people can agree on. And then I think there's a long like, you know, area on the spectrum that's very gray between that and being like, okay, should we consider like intimacy to be something that people deserve? Right. In the same way that they deserve, say, like shelter and water. And like it is something that is definitely harmful to your psychological well-being right to not Mm. have these things right but because it's one of those mental things same with any kind of like almost like mental illness stuff like it's not as legitimized as like physical like needing food and shelter and like that kind of thing is there anything is there anything else that we can think of that like that we consider sort of a human right but would also require someone else to like do something for you or like be involved with you well if you were to talk to any of my hardcore libertarian friends they would say pretty much any kind of material right like healthcare or shelter or food or something is uh that kind of thing i don't agree with them but uh you can but like uh, it does demand something of someone like right. if you want health care you need a doctor to give you right. health care right 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 <laughs> right i i think this is uh if you guys if you don't mind me reframing this a little bit, um, I prefer not to think about 
uh, the loneliness question, either in its incel form or in its other forms, as a question of rights, uh, mm-hmm. just because that uh, kind of um, there, there's an overtone where it almost begins like, OK, well, this is a problem that can be solved through a rebalancing of the laws or a rebalancing yeah, right. of the institution. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't think it's it's that. I think this is one of those things that um, actually the more you tried to influence it with law and policy uh, as the prime kind of leaders of it, the, the more you'd probably screw something up uh, pretty bad about society. You know, I mean, the obvious uh, question, like lots of people have done the thought experiment is there a right to sex and you always get something that looks suspiciously like the handmaid's tale whenever you try to with a with a a real kind of thing to that you know but um that said alcoholism you know alcoholism has been a problem in america for centuries and in the 19th century it was an even bigger problem uh than than it was in the 20th century and so there were all these like local organizations called temperance unions uh that got set up and they were basically um leagues of men who uh didn't want to drink anymore and they would hold each other accountable to not drinking you know um kind of a a precursor to alcoholics anonymous in some ways although alcoholics anonymous uh came up in the early 20th century, uh, partly as a don't drink thing, but also partly a way to help people to stop drinking as well. Anyways, I say that because, um, I think a lot of the character of modern loneliness is, uh, basically a civil society institutions, uh, kind of level problem. Um, and, uh, a friend of mine who I've complained to about this whole thing a lot, a lot, uh, told me something that, that is really, really interesting in a lot of societies before, um, before modern Western society, you had similar rates of like sexless men. It's just, there were socially honorable roles for sexless men like eunuchs in China. You could go work for the government bureaucracy and go like uh, attain social status there. Or in medieval Europe, you had the whole monastic orders where like anybody who wasn't a knight or noble, uh, the only way out of peasantry was to go become a priest. And then you would obviously be celibate there, you know. So um, so like there were ways to deal with the uh, the the question of that particular need not being meetable for a large percentage of the population. And one of the things that's different about democratic, uh, capitalist, liberal modernity, post-sexual revolution is that I can't really think of a of a honorable celibate role that is mass scalable. I mean, all the men who uh, are in that situation aren't going to find recourse in becoming monks, you know. But here's but here's also what I what is interesting about that. It's not even just the population that those are all male things to do, yes. right? Yes. And for women, right? Especially because in in earlier periods in history, your entire value as a woman was that you're your sexual value, right, right. right? And it's like, why don't you see a similar culture among women who are also like low market value, like don't get as many matches, right? right? right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, why is there no real? I mean, sure there there are kind of like you know women and people of color in the cell movement, but it's characterized as largely a white male phenomenon, right. Right. right? right? And it's sort of like, why is it that the reaction to the same scarcity, right, of intimacy, of sex, of whatever, right, of companionship, like has such a vastly different reaction, right, yeah. among different and groups think, and different and I think demographics. That is where, like, that is where, like, sort of the intangible societal influences are coming into play, right? right? Like, it's the idea that, like, the average man is probably, like, 
either maybe not intentionally raised by this by their parents, but like by you know by television and, and mass media that you know there's they they're raised to like be expectant of a certain lifestyle for them or like whatever you know mm-hmm. or like raised to have you know with you know certain manner maybe raised with like certain mannerisms that are different from women and then like it, it just comes out and like ends up being acted upon in such a vastly different way mm-hmm. but it's so weird how that's such a like like strikingly like separate like reaction because like it it seemingly would feel like women are socialized even more to see their sexual value as being their right. the totality of their value as a human being right mm-hmm. and so like you don't see and in fact when i think about like the women who i know of who would like be in a similar camp if anything like like one of the people that i follow on instagram is this woman who is this like fat activist and she has this account called your fat friend and she literally translate all of that angst into like you know of not being able to fit on airplane seats of like not having you know basically a a society that's kind of like made for her in this various ways into like activism of trying to educate people that actually like you know this is the world was not made for people who look like me and like that kind of thing and like that's such a radically different vision of like how to respond to that same level of scarcity as like the incel culture you know I, i do think that like i think that dudes i mean i there's i think there's also a lot of science to back this up that like men are not necessarily like afforded the same tools of like learning how to deal with their emotions right and like in like a in a um and i think in like a sort of one like an upfront way i think there's a lot of like a strong culture of sort of like just like internalizing a lot of that shit and being like like i I think um and this is something that i i don't want to dig too deeply into just because i don't have much to say about it, but I think there is a, uh, a, a sense that I don't know if it's biologically in it or socially constructed or what. Um, but I think there is a sense that the kind of, uh, uh, the, the way males like are about sex in the modern West is like ravenous rabbits, you know? Um, and like, you can look at any kind of, any kind of trope to, to see that. Um, now again, whether that's conditioned or natural is beyond my scope. And it's not, uh, I don't think even particularly relevant to this kind of, um, to, to the, to the realities happening. Um, but I think uh, that's one of the aspects is that when the expectation that people go into it with is that um, and then they run up against a wall that creates a kind of uh, dissonance, you know, that uh, results in uh, the events of films like Joker and stuff like that. Actually, you know, on that note, um, Freud had a really, I, I really disagree with uh, Sigmund Freud on a lot of stuff, but uh, his, he had a, a, a crazy thesis uh, way back when that, that, uh, that civilization is created when you have a uh, a sexual social contract enforced that keeps people from gratifying all of their sexual desires all the time, and they instead turn those uh, those frustrated desires into the passions that make like buildings or art or science or literature or whatever. It's weird. I don't think the reason people succeed is because they're having repressed sexual urges express themselves in paintings. Although I know uh, that that's been an influential idea, but you know. So it, it kind of begs the question too, like is to what degree is um, is that kind of tension 
when it bubbles up in this level that it has today, uh, something that can have social and political consequences. And I think the obvious answer is that it has some, we just don't understand them yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I definitely well, think <laughs> Well, I was going to say, what's what's funny about like both of the implications of I think both of like, you know, our, our both potential solutions, right, to what of, you know, of this loneliness epidemic is like seemingly, you know, create communities, right, where people feel like understood and like fostered and then like have like you know socialize like a lot of these like very alienated men to kind of like talk about their emotions more and like have a better way to deal with that but what's so weird about it is that both of those things are exactly what the insult community is doing is they are going online they are seeking out a community they are trying to talk about their emotions they are trying to do all those things and then it's like have this horrible outcomes in some certain circumstances <laughs> right <laughs> but, but here's the thing is okay those are not structured, moderated conversations yeah. worked with by <laughs> professionals. Those are just what happens when you have a bunch of people thinking the same thing, coming together and stewing. Um, In like a room together and be yeah. like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. women. Like, yeah, I have another crazy idea that just okay. might work. Um, and it's, it's also it's also tongue in cheek and I'm not sure how serious I am, I am about it, but Incels Anonymous, like a 12-step program like AA. I mean, there's a bajillion uh, 12-step programs. I've seen Narcotics Anonymous and Sexaholics Anonymous and Love Addicts Anonymous and all kinds of things. I mean, Overeaters Anonymous. Um, It seems that a very relevant one would be one uh, where people who identified as incels, I suppose it could be both men and women, but I assume it would be mostly a uh, mostly a men one. Um, We're in a kind of uh, structure where along with the 12 step program, uh, they admitted to themselves what their problem was. Right. Um, Which and I think the main problem in this situation is identifying yourself as as somebody who can't get uh, get sexual intimacy. Um, and then there was a, uh, structured, uh, moderated kind of way of processing similarly to how there is a lot of talk therapy programs that could help you over time, come to terms with that, with the support of your peers in a wholesome way, you know, and, and actually, you know, when I think about it, the whole prospect of, uh, of being um, being sexually unsuccessful, uh, it usually has manifested itself when it's turned into a hero's journey. It's turned into the worst kind of hero's journey, where you have a absolutely fanatic kind of uh, mass murderer kind of thing. But I also think there's another kinds of he- kind of hero's journey that could that is much more wholesome of like understanding that the world doesn't necessarily want you and that you're not necessarily the pinnacle of everything and knowing that you too are dust and to dust you shall return but that you still have duties to that world anyway and that you have uh there is good things you can do anyway despite that kind of uh expendability you know and i think that's something that uh could come out in these kinds of support groups if somebody took the time to set it up. Um, It's one of these things where it's a tension and it's a a suffering, a very real suffering that is just channeled in the most natural and abhorrent way. And with a little bit of structure, I just have the sense that like, what if you could help people come to terms with that suffering and get it into something that builds a real community and better people out of it as well, you know? Yeah, actually, I I think I wholly agree. I mean, I think that (laughs) I think that like, like I said, uh, or like uh, Isabel brought up, you know, they're not going to go anywhere, right? So something, so so something needs to be done with them. Um, 
And that could be a, a good a benefit of having the internet too, is because then you and can actually be truly anonymous, right? Right. Because like you know, it seems like if you're willing to go on an incel forum, like you clearly like are realize that this about this is true about yourself, right? You wouldn't, but you're because all these forums are anonymous, you can like do it in a way where people don't actually know who you are. Yeah. Right. And I think that I think I was thinking when we were talking about sort of like systemic root causes. Um, you know, I, I think a really big problem is that people are built up to think that, you know, the world is like out there for them and that there's definitely going to be a soulmate for them and that these things are definitely going to happen because it happens to everybody. But we're not given a lot of infrastructure around what to do when that doesn't happen and like how to rationalize when it doesn't happen. And yeah. And then like and then we get back into the differences of like how that plays out in men versus women. But I do think that like you know, as in my, in my personal experience as a dude, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I, you know, I didn't know. I, it took me a long time to figure out how to, how to sort of internalize healthily the idea that someone didn't want me, you know, mm-hmm. shut up. Hey, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still working on it. So, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it's, yeah. It, it's one of these things where it really is a skill. It really yeah. is a, a a life skill just as much as budget management or uh, relations with your parents is a life skill. And it's not one where there's a clear like sense of what to do. You know, it's like kind of expected yeah. that you'll figure it out on your own. Um, the yeah. whole purpose of civil society and cultural support groups is to help people learn like the norms in any particular situation, you know, and this is one of the yeah. things. And especially because, again, and this is very like in heteronormative like society, the men are supposed to be the askers. Right. So not only is it like you have to take the initiative and keep experiencing rejection over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Right? The, the infrastructure is really bad. I'll tell yeah. you. <laughs> Don't remind me. Yeah, actually, actually, that was why it was so gratifying when uh, when when that girl asked me out over Facebook was like, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this doesn't happen. It's it's mm-hmm. nice that it does happen now though i'm glad you know yeah yeah Dude, one of my current partners asked me asked me on a date like we matched on okay cupid and lol and she uh, <laughs> and she like her first message was like yo you seem red we should go out i was like oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? absolutely yeah which is why it's it always really really annoys me when people like are like oh well like men should not ever like complain about anything because you're like of the privileged class or whatever but like that doesn't make the suffering any less real like people can still like privilege has absolutely nothing to do with how you experience emotions and like if you're feeling lonely you're gonna feel lonely regardless of whatever your background is right i'm always careful to note uh when when this comes up too that that um, it's like having, I think having the experience of suffering, like uh, uh, of any sort, um, it, it, it imparts a duty on you to like try to understand other experiences of suffering that you have not been through, but that other people are going through, you know? And so, so there's another thing is that um, this, this kind of uh, situation on like, lower attractiveness men uh, could be morphed into a sense of empathy on their part for other people who go through different kinds of things uh, than rather than just turning into a blind resentment at certain classes of people. So totally. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think Um, I I will say one of the, Oh no, after you, sorry. 
No, I was just going to say that I think that a conversation or like a a portion of the conversation around privilege that I think is sorely missing is like, how do you confront um, like, you know, that people's feelings need to be legitimized because they are uh, because they're legitimate to them. And I think that in a lot of other aspects, we like are very ready to accept someone's truth, quote unquote. Right. Um, And I think it's important to like learn how to accept that people's truths like exist, even if they, even if you wholly disagree with what their truth is, right. You have to, like, you can't, you, you still have to like figure out how to mitigate the issue of, okay, well, a large portion of the population is experiencing this thing, regardless of whether I think it's valid or not. That is completely right. And uh, that's one of the things why I'm really glad I fell in with uh, the braver angels crowd a couple of years back um, is that they pulled me out of my, uh, my conservative, like, Oh, facts don't care about your feelings kind of thought into realizing like, well, facts are real, but like interpretations of those, facts and people's responses to those facts are pretty real too. And you're not going to get anywhere in understanding people, much less solving the social problems without trying to respect other people's interpretations of reality. You know, so I will say real quick, um, one of the uh, pleasant side effects of the um, uh, creation of the incel culture is the fact that one of the greatest memes ever, one of the greatest formats (laughs) ever uh, the Chad versus Virgin meme format, which is usable for all kinds of wonderful and like irreverent kind of comparisons, was birthed from them. And like they like used it edgily for the first while, but then it started being reappropriated by people who interpreted it differently. And uh, suddenly you have things like the um, uh, li- like like uses of the Chad Virgin meme in uh, in everything from politics to uh, pop culture to historical stuff uh it's just great and uh you guys may have noticed that uh, that's one of my favorite meme formats to use for obscure <laughs> historical things too yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well I'm, I'm now looking at like the uh the meme origin of this okay so if, if you want a really bad time look at the original ones but if you want to feel the power of redemption go look at all the more recent chad version memes. <laughs> mm-hmm. well that's why like those kinds of things like things just just mutate almost in a literal like you know almost evolutionary way right of like just so quickly on the internet right and when things go viral like that's why it was so crazy to me to like learn that the incel movement was founded by a queer woman in the 90s and then it has completely changed from that from its inception but that's crazy to me that things can like start off in just completely like different territory and then mutate into something like so radically different, like pretty quickly. I get the impression too, that when that woman founded or uh, kind of set up the term and set up the, uh, the forum for it at first, it was, kind, yeah. it was kind of to be a, like a venting ground meant to be a, a safe space and a, uh, kind of, uh, if you have, if, if you're wondering what your experience is, I'm thinking about this experience and share your experiences here or so that you can help come to terms with it and figure out like what needs to change and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a deeply empathetic thing. Right. Right. Yeah. right. And, and, and what's, and it totally makes sense to me now. Like the more I think about the fact that it was started by this like queer woman, because like it is very applicable, like having like, you know, being in the closet and like experiencing sexlessness and like being like sexually frustrated <sighs> is very much something that like the queer community has to deal with all the time. 
right yeah. and so like it's funny because it's now considered like a, a, a something that's within very much like the alt-right and like right culture but started off super left you know <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah well one of the strangest things about 21st century political culture is the strange horseshoe that you see yeah, uh, well, all that kind of stuff. yeah. right uh, right it turns out everyone uh, appreciates a safe space of some kind <laughs> <laughs> A safe space where they can feel they have a community and no longer have to suffer loneliness and social isolation. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think this seems like a, a natural wrapping up spot. Yeah. Does anyone else have any points they want to get to before I start the outro? Yeah. Uh, let me just say one thing real quick. Uh, if there are anybody out there, especially any young men out there listening to this who identify as an incel or find yourself looking over incel forums and sympathizing with that, I just want to say uh, none of this is to judge you at all. Uh, none of this is to uh, to um tell you that your experience is not valid because it is valid. It is a, a situation that happens to the best of us and uh, it's there, but just know that uh, there are ways to uh, assess it and cope with it and deal with it and understand your true worth as a man uh, that do not involve uh, some of the more brutally uh, anti-woman and anti-person kind of uh things that members of the incel community have done. So uh, I'm just here saying that as uh, somebody who has felt that kind of pain for quite a long time, there is a better life out there than just, uh, just stewing in resentment. And I invite you to it. Thank you so much for sitting down with us again. Um, you thank are you. our first. Thank you guys for having me. I am really honored to be able to do this podcast with you guys. So. Yeah, you're our first repeat guest. How does it feel? <laughs> well, I, I didn't know that. Um, uh, I hope you guys aren't like getting too attached or anything like that. Yeah, you're, you're experiencing. That's, that's a very different kind of relationship problem there. Uh, yeah, you're experiencing uh, the, the classic millennial like aversion to commitment right now. <laughs> well, well, know that if uh, however many times you guys want to have me on, I will always be honored to chat with you guys about whatever. And actually, I uh, have some ideas, so I'll tell you guys about those sometime soon. So yeah, great. great. Um, before we get out of here, is there anything that you want to plug? Yeah. So um, I uh, so this is totally distance from this conversation. Uh, in my real life, I uh, work um, for an organization called Weave the Social Fabric Project and another organization called Braver Angels. They are two fascinating uh, civic organizations that are dedicated to uh, uh uh, bridging divides and bringing people together and helping build real community in an atomized, isolated age. So uh, if you are interested in reading some stuff about this whole phenomenon of loneliness, or if you're interested in getting involved in organizations that are doing good work on this kind of thing, I would urge you to check out uh, www.braverangels.org or www.weareweavers.org and you can find out more about some pretty good social community building projects there. Great. And uh, as always, if you heard anything you liked or you hated or you like really hated that we talked about this topic or you hate, <laughs> you hate Luke or whatever, um, hit us up. We're at, at I'm the Villain Pod on uh, Twitter and Instagram. That's also our Gmail account. Uh, shoot us a message if you're feeling feisty. Um, otherwise, bye.